is, it is a great uh, blessing to us to be able to, to look out and see uh, faces of family who have come in to be with uh, friends and loved ones over the last several weeks, and we're thankful for that time. And one more word to our guest. Um, we're so glad that you're here next Sunday, the very first Sunday of, G- of January, and then for the couple after that as well, we'll be doing East Sunshine 101 uh, which is a way for you to get to know a little bit more about us here at East Sunshine. And uh, it's also a good way for us to get to know you. So we look forward to that uh, beginning next Sunday. So we'd invite you to stay after our worship time next week and then uh, be a part of East Sunshine 101. All right. Good morning, loved ones. Some of you thought I was just not even going to... I was going to skip right over that. Uh, we're in a series that we're called calling Believing God, Stories of Faith from the Old Testament. We've got a couple more weeks in this series. And uh, today we're going to be in Second Chronicles, and we're going to be reading part of three chapters, part of 14, part of 15, part of 16. It's really one story about King Asa. Let's go right into the Word of God. Chapter 14, 2 Chronicles 14, I'm going to start in verse 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah. And the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. This land The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Zerah the Cushite, later on down in verse 9, marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephatha, near Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. So he gives them victory. And then going into chapter 15, verse 1, because of this victory and because of his posture toward God, the Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. 
for a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. Later on in that same chapter, in verse 12, Asa leads the entire nation, the whole people, and they entered into a covenant to do what? To seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. And in verse 17, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. This is a a snapshot of what it looks like for a king and for the people to seek the Lord in this book, Second Chronicles. Really, First and Second Chronicles together, the theme of those two books is seeking the Lord. Uh, the, the king leads the way. The king has become the symbolic figure for the people with God. In a sense, even though he's not called a priest and he didn't have the duties of a priest, got in trouble when he would take on the duties of a priest, in fact, the king became the symbol And as the king went, so the country went. That's how it is in Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Now in Israel, we've said before, there were not any good kings. There were no kings who sought the Lord. And uh, in the southern kingdom in Judah, there were about 50-50. Asa's father was Abijah. He sought the Lord. He was one who depended on the Lord. And in these two books... Throughout, the phrase seeking the Lord has several different things that go with it. And in particular, here in 2 Chronicles, we've seen Asa put into action this seeking of the Lord. This is what it looked like. Number one, he put away the idols. He tore down the Asherah poles. The Asherah poles were to the goddess of, of, that, of the Canaanites in that area when they had come into the land, still there in some places. Certainly in the northern kingdom in Israel, they were there. And in the southern kingdom, they had crept in as well. And so he takes those down. He, he trusts the Lord when other nations come against him. Because one of the great things that you see happening through the, the kings and chronicles is that oftentimes the king is faced with a crisis, an army is coming after them, and then the king has to decide who he's going to trust. I mean, is he going to trust in the Lord, or is he going to trust in Egypt, a former enemy, or is he going to trust in another nation around them? But when they seek the Lord, they trust in the Lord, they don't trust in making treaties with other countries and other kings. Third, there's just a general obedience to God's commands. The king himself is obedient, and he's leading the people towards obedience of the Lord. And then finally, and this is kind of a summary of all of that and more, When they seek the Lord, they want the will of God, the things of God, and the glory of God more than anything else. It is the passionate pursuit of the king when he is seeking the Lord. It is the passionate pursuit of the king 
to go after God above anything else. The attention, the affection, the allegiance, the energy, the passion is all about going hard after the Lord. A little further back in 2 Chronicles, in chapter 12, as Chronicles has unpacked just a little bit of the division of that once united kingdom into the northern kingdom Israel and southern kingdom Judah, the chronicler talks about the king of Israel, Rehoboam, who was a part of the split. And this is what is said about Rehoboam in chapter 12, verse 14. Rehoboam did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. So if seeking the Lord meant putting away idols, trusting the Lord rather than other nations and kings, obedience to his commands, and and then pursuing God above everything else, wanting the glory of God and the will of God more than anything, Rehoboam was the exact opposite. He did not set his heart on seeking the Lord. And so there were idols everywhere. It's Baal that we read about in Israel. That's where Elisha and Elijah were prophets, was in the northern kingdom, where Baal worship and Asherah and all these other idols had taken over. There was no obedience to the commands of God. There wasn't a king who was pursuing God. The priests were corrupt. The prophets were false. There was nothing of the Lord left in Israel in so many ways, except in a few, like Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah's reminded at one time, oh yeah, 7,000 others who haven't bowed to Baal. But Rehoboam is the epitome of a king who doesn't seek the Lord. He had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Now, here are some of the results that we read about in chapter 15 of what happens when the king is seeking the Lord. There's peace. God delivers them from the enemy and then gives them a period of peace. And in that period of peace, there's a lot of building going on. Uh, It's one of the things that happens when the kings seek the Lord. Instead of defending, they can build up. They can get ready for perhaps a future attack, but they're able to build. They're able to add things to their kingdom. There's prosperity. And certainly when an enemy comes after them, there's victory because they're relying on the Lord. They're trusting in God. They're seeking him. They, They call out to him just like he did when the Cushites had come, and God delivers them, so there's victory. But something happens. Two chapters of Asa. And there's a lot of excitement. There's this great king who's come along and is leading the people. 35 years of peace and building, prosperity, victory. Something has happened. And the chapter 16 tells us a little bit of what goes on here. In the beginning of chapter 16, we learn that the king of Israel, Basha, has seen that because of the prosperity that's been happening in Judah, because King Asa is leading the people to seek the Lord, God has given abundant blessing to Judah. And now people from Israel have begun to defect and they're migrating down south to Judah. So Basha is losing some of his people. This is important because if some of your people are part of the army, you're losing part of the army as well. And it doesn't look very good on your resume. You're losing people rather than gaining people. And so Basha has had enough. 
And he steps in and he begins to go to the border along Ramah and he begins to fortify the border so that people can no longer defect into Judah. And when Asa sees this, fear strikes Asa and he sends word to the king of Aram. So he goes past Israel north into what is now Syria, Damascus, the king of Aram. And he tells Aram, listen, I know you've got a treaty right now with Basha, but I am sending you some money. In fact, it was no ordinary money. It was gold and silver from the temple. This was gold and silver that he had dedicated to the Lord after his victory over the Cushites. And he had taken so much plunder and he gave it to the Lord. It was an act of dedication, an act of worship. It was an act of celebration to say, we know that this victory came from you. Here is the gold and silver that you have provided for us. And so it was dedicated money. And Asa took what was dedicated to the Lord at one time, and he cleans out the treasury, and he sends that gold and silver dedicated to God, and now he sends it to the king of Aram. And he says, I want you to break your treaty with Israel and make a treaty with us. March down against them. Well, the king of Aram is, he's no dummy. He knows this is not just gold and silver. There's, there's a divine gain, not just a financial gain that's attached to this money. To receive money dedicated to God, any God, for his, from his point of view, is, is to receive that blessing of that God. So he wants this money, and he says, okay, you got it. So he breaks his treaty with Basha, and he marches down, and when Basha sees that now the king of Aram is coming after him, and he's got it from north and south, he stops building Ramah, and he opens up the border. He withdraws. What happened? We pick up the story in chapter 6, verse 7, the Lord sent Hanani, the seer, to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped your hand. In other words, they might be friends right now because you've made a treaty with them, you gave them the money dedicated to the Lord, to Yahweh. But they've escaped you. This will come back and bite you. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Let me read it again. Anani says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Doesn't this verse give you comfort? We think about seeking the Lord but the Lord, through Hanani, is telling Asa, you know, the Lord was the first seeker. 
the Lord has always been seeking seekers. His eyes are roaming through the earth, finding those people whose hearts are fully devoted to him, which is another way of saying a heart that is set on seeking the Lord. The Lord himself is looking for people who are looking for him. This is what he does. He can't not do that. So then he tells Asa, you've done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Then later on in verse 12, he, he, he's given a disease in his feet. So in his last couple of years, he's, he's got a disease in his feet. And though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek. He did not seek help from the Lord, but only from physicians. And so it ends, and for two years he has this disease, and then he dies, and he's buried. End of Asa. This story is, um, for me, it's a gut punch of disappointment and sorrow. Uh, this seems like a sad story. It's sad because it goes against the kinds of stories that we really like. Uh, you see, um, we like rags to riches stories. But riches to rags, not so much. We like the story, uh, perhaps as athletic fans, of some kind of athletic event. If your team is downed by 40 points and comes back to win, you're elated. But if you're the fan, fans of the other team, you're sick for weeks. You might not ever forget that loss if you had 40 and you crashed and lost. Because there's something within us, there's something within us that likes to see some, someone go from nothing to something, but to see someone go from something to nothing hurts. If, if this story had been the other way around, so he reigned for 41 years, what if he'd had 35 years living as a scoundrel, a rascal? What if he'd been like Rehoboam? And for 35 years, he does not set his heart on seeking the Lord. And he's leading the people away, and he's worshiping idols. And then, wham, he, he's hit. Something happens to him. He wakes up to the will of God, to the glory of God, and he begins to seek the Lord. And in the last six years of his life, he turns it around, and he begins to pursue passionately the Lord. He makes the Lord the first thing and the last thing in his life. What if that had happened? Wouldn't we feel differently? If 35 years of unfaithfulness had turned to become six years of faithfulness at the end, even six months, six weeks, six days, something. But it's the opposite. It's 35 years of faithfulness. And then he falls flat with six years of unfaithfulness. Seeking the Lord and then not. What happened? What happened to Asa? Uh, interestingly, there's nothing in the text that tells us. He has peace. 
And then the next story is this story of Basha from Israel and sending the treasury and the dedicated things to Aram. We're not told in the text if there was some big event, some crisis, or something that happened that caused or was maybe the trigger point for Asa to give up his faith. Sometimes a major event, a big event in our lives can do that. Sometimes that happens to us. We will have a a time when we are faced with some kind of crisis. Something happens, we, we lose a job. Uh, we struggle in a friendship or a relationship. We, we see these, uh, these major things happening maybe in our body and, and maybe prosperity, maybe a fall, a relapse in some kind of addiction. There's an event or there's a crisis in our lives and that major event becomes the trigger and sometimes people will just give up. But in Chronicles, it doesn't appear to be the case that Asa is, has faced some kind of major event that's made him look away from the Lord to stop seeking the resources of God. He'd been seeking the resources of God, and now he seeks his own resources. He's relying on his own resources. So there doesn't seem to be a major event. Instead, it seems to be, if we kind of stay with the theme of seeking the Lord throughout Chronicles, it seems to be a drift. Not a major crisis, it's a drift. Perhaps it was just a slow fade away from the things that had kept him close to God. Perhaps it was less prayer, less worship, not as much dedication of things to the Lord. Maybe it was less meditation on the word of God. Perhaps it was more emphasis on wealth and more emphasis on building things and more emphasis on projects. Maybe for Asa it was just the daily grind of being the king. Maybe he was just overwhelmed at some point in his career with the duties of being the king of Judah. We don't know. But it would make more sense and be more consistent with the story that instead of there being a major point in his life that he just stopped seeking the Lord, there was a slow fade where he begins to pursue other things more than he begins to pursue the Lord. And the things that he had done the tangible, practical, measurable ways that he had sought God before, he just stops doing over time. The meditation days, instead of being every day, become five days, and then they become three days, and then they become a day. His time to go into the temple for worship before the Lord, perhaps with the community of of Judah, perhaps by himself, those begin to dwindle. And it can be the same for us. Sometimes it's a major event for us, some kind of life crisis. But a lot of times, it's a slow fade for us as well. It's a drift in a direction in which we're really not seeking the Lord consistently and intentionally. 
we begin to take our eyes away from the Lord and we put them on other things. We give the Lord less affection. We give the Lord less attention. And because we give him less affection and less attention, attention, then he has less of our allegiance. More of our allegiance now begins to spill into other things. And we begin to be more passionate about our pursuits of experiences and stuff. We're grabbing for other things. Idols have become now our attention. Instead of destroying those things and crushing them, removing them, now we begin to cling to them and set them up. The high places that had been torn down have, have slowly been built up in our lives. They've become high places again, and so we begin to pursue other things. We get wrapped up more in the gifts of life than the giver of life. We begin to pray less, perhaps, read less scripture, spend more time with the screens of our phones and tablets and laptops. Basically, we slowly drift away from seeking the Lord. And the things that we had done that were tangible and practical and measurable as a part of that time of pursuing the Lord, we've just kind of stopped doing. Those things that God has used to grow us before, we're just, we've given up on them. And when we aren't intentional and consistent in our pursuit of the Lord, when we aren't consistent and intentional in seeking the Lord, we will be intentionally and consistently seeking something else. There is no vacuum in life. There's just not a vacuum. So we're going to be seeking him consistently and seeking him intentionally, or we're not. We will be seeking something else. So at the end of the year, with a new year just a few days away, let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. This is a good time to really take some time to pause and think about, think about where we are. So question one, what's the direction or the trajectory of my life? What direction am I going? What direction am I going today? Uh, because uh, as we sit here, uh, all of us are going a, a particular direction with the Lord. We're consistently and intentionally pursuing him, or we're not. So which direction am I going today? Uh, where am I is the question that God asks Adam and Eve, where are you? Even though he knows, it's for their benefit to ask the question back in the garden. What's the condition of my heart? If I were to allow the Holy Spirit, if I was still enough and honest enough to let the Holy Spirit dig into my heart and see my heart, what condition would he find? It's a, another way of saying, am I seeking the Lord? Second, and perhaps even more important, what direction will I go? What direction do I want to go? If I'm not intentionally and consistently pursuing the Lord right now and seeking him, the good news is that because of his great love, because his love and faithfulness, according to Psalm 23, pursue us all the days of our lives, the God that we seek is seeking us. Remember, his eyes are roaming throughout the earth. 
searching for those, seeking those whose hearts are fully devoted to him so that he can strengthen them. He wants to strengthen us. Our present condition does not have to define our future direction. That's a really important thing. And I don't mean future as in, I mean future as in right now, starting today in these few minutes. Your present direction does not have to determine and in the power of God and the vision of God and the wisdom of God and the grace of God does not have to determine your future direction starting now. Listen to this. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is the Lord speaking to Solomon and to all of the people on the day that the temple was dedicated to the Lord. Listen to what he says. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will hear, heal their land. This is the promise of God. When people turn to the Lord, at that moment, he begins to act. He loves us enough at times to let us go our own way so that perhaps we will come to our senses, see that we're lost, and turn to him. Asa is an example of someone who seeks the Lord in the beginning of his life. At the end, when he's got his illness, he doesn't even turn to the Lord then. He's got so much pride. And this is a story that warns us, that is there for us to learn. It doesn't have to end that way. Even if we have a slow start, or a rough start, or a bad start, or a sinful start, We can have an ending because of the grace of God, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who makes all things new to redeem and restore and refresh starting now. The direction we've been going does not have to be the direction that we continue going. That's part of the good news. It's part of the call. Now, I want to just call a time out and, and, and just warn you. Don't give in to the temptation. Don't give in to the temptation to get your life together and fix yourself before you begin to seek the Lord. Because we know the how that will turn out. Getting your life together and trying to fix yourself and trying to get over, say, oh, yeah, I haven't been seeking the Lord. I've got some things to get together before I turn to the Lord. Then I'll dedicate myself. No, it doesn't start that way. It doesn't end that way. It can't happen that way. If you recognize, I have not been seeking the Lord, it's time for me to turn to the Lord then turn to the Lord and humbly say, I have not been seeking your face. I have not been serious about you. I have not been giving you my affection. I've not been giving you my attention. I haven't been giving you my allegiance. 
I basically have put your rules for life aside so that I can make my own rules for life and follow them. I've been doing what I want to do. I've been seeking my will, not yours. And I'm sorry. And I want to start over. Even if it's been five years, 10 years, 35 years, it doesn't matter how long to the Lord, he's calling us to turn. This is a call to repentance in 2 Chronicles 7. In in the beginning of the story, in the beginning of the book, this is God saying, if you will repent, I will be right there to redeem and restore and renew and give you a new fire and compassion to seek me. I'm seeking you. I will help you seek me. In the film, The Greatest Showman, the film tells part of the story of P.T. Barnum right? He was a politician, a businessman, entrepreneur, but he's famous, of course, for starting the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And he did this. Now, in the movie, which has got a lot of creative liberty, in the movie, Barnum is portrayed by Hugh Jackman, and as a little boy, he is a nobody. He has nothing. He's poor, and he's told he will never amount to anything. And so he begins, that drives him, it fuels him to become something, but he feels compassion towards other people who've been left out. And so he builds the circus around people who have unique appearances, so to speak. Curiosities, as they were called in the 1800s. And he takes these, these people like Tom Fum, who've been left out, and he builds an entire circus and it draws people and suddenly the, it's, it's the show, it's the greatest show in town. And he's making money, and he makes so much money that he's able to afford an opera singer from Europe who starts to tour with the circus and then goes on tour without the circus, making more money. And the name P.T. Barnum is just plastered everywhere. He's famous until scandal sets in. And the people that he had loved and the, the compassion that he had felt for those who had called to the circus at the beginning and his family who had helped him get there, he kind of just left them to the side while he goes on tour with the singer from Europe. And when the scandal sets in, he comes home and he realizes that he has now crashed. And the very things that he had set out in his life to do the people that he had set out to love, the people that he had set out to strengthen and to to help achieve, to look past the curiosities and the unique appearances, to help make good in that society. And he'd lost it. He'd lost his sense of purpose. He'd lost his sense of compassion. He'd lost his family. And he was on the verge of losing his friends. And in one of the scenes towards the end of the movie, he's talking with his friends in a bar room and community and just saying, I've messed up. And then the best dance scene and the best song on the show, in my opinion, takes off and he begins to sing the song from now on. I drank champagne with kings and queens. The politicians praised my name but those are someone else's dreams, the pitfalls of the man I became. For years and years, I chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. He's speaking our language. But when I stop and see you here, 
I remember who all this was for. And from now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. It starts tonight. And let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. From now on, we will come back home. We will come back home. Home again. From now on. It's a song of repentance. Kevin Skidmore, when he was here a couple of years ago for the marriage seminar, he talked about this idea of repentance, and he said, all of us face this point in our lives where we go, up to now, I've been like this. From now on, I will go this direction. Up to now, I've been self-seeking. From now on, I will be Lord-seeking. And that's the place we come to in our text. It's the place we come to in our story. At the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of 2020, a year from now, at the end of your life, you will be changed. You will be different in some way because there is no static life. There's no life in a vacuum. What will your life be like? By the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ, who is perfection and transfers his perfection to us by grace, we have the ability to start over, start fresh, clean slate right now. Up to now, Lord, I haven't been seeking you. From now on, I will seek you. Would you stand with me, please? Let this story of Asa not be the gut punch of disappointment and and sorrow. Let this story of Asa be an encouragement. Remember, Asa was faithful and then went unfaithful. Every story of every king in Kings and Chronicles has imperfect kings. But we have a perfect king. We call him the King of Kings who was perfect for us and who has been the model king for seeking the Lord, who is the one on whom we give our affection and attention, the one to whom we give our allegiance, the one who gives us purpose and life and says, from now on, I will empower you and lead you into new life. So we have the invitation this morning to respond to respond to this good news, to seek the Lord, and to say from now on, we will seek him. So we invite you to respond as we sing this song.